You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R, and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Season 3, Episode 7, The Human Potential Movement. Go kiss me and smile for me. Tell me that you wait for me. Hold me like you never let me go. The training is, uh, is two weekends. And uh, it was quite an incredible experience in my life. I'll forever be grateful for the experience. I got a great deal out of it. We really want to know who we are. There are things going on. We learn more and more about us, ourselves all the time. And to really find out what it, make, what it is that makes us tick and how we are discovering ourselves. Est became hugely successful. Singers, film stars, and hundreds of thousands of ordinary Americans underwent the training in the 1970s. That was a clip from a video called John Denver on Est. If we want to talk about the history of cults, we have to talk about the primordial soup that birthed the majority of cults in America. It's called the Human Potential Movement. It's an innocent-sounding approach to looking at mental health and well-being and helping people center themselves and their own lives. But as we know from how some of that turned out with various controlling groups, many of which have been featured on this show, it hasn't always been that simple. Joining me again is Toby Aloe to discuss the human potential movement. Welcome, Toby. Toby, talk to me about the preconditions that allowed the human potential movement to happen and sort of what was going on at that time in America. So the human potential movement I would say that there were many thoughts and theories that were hashed out in the 40s, but I, I would start with the, the human potential movement as a reaction to the society in the 50s and 60s. And, and I think you have to go back to the 50s because in the 50s, Freudian psychology really dominated a lot of uh, psychology and Freudian psychology in a simple way sort of saw a lot of um, psychological problems as forms of repression and and Freud sort of posited that that there was sort of um, deep-seated almost like animalistic feelings that human beings had but that civilization sort of repressed those feelings. And so a lot of people who had psychological problems would go to psychologists and therapists, and they would help them to try to conform. And so, and Freud's theories were sort of led into America through his uh, nephew, who Edward Bernays, who paid to have a lot of his books published. And, and it went off like a bang. Americans uh, really sort of got into this. And the American Psychology Society was, was 
inundated with people who um, wanted new psychologists. There was more demand than there was supply for positions in this incoming profession. And the profession sort of professed to help people to conform. And this, the 50 society was, especially after the war, you have to think that people came back from the, the World War II and the Korean War, and they wanted a, a, some level of stability in their lives. And they had um, emerging uh, jobs through ma- manufacturing, jobs at GM, things like that, which sort of gave white men essentially, um, made them breadwinners and sort of gave them a sort of a standard of living and with a high growth uh, rate in the 50s and 60s that sort of hovered around 4 and 5%. So, and there was actually quite low uh, inequality, especially in that demographic. So, but then I think what people started to notice and what people like Abraham Maslow started to notice is that the society started to become much more conformist and there was a lot of pressure to conform to particular styles and and that led to people indulging a lot of consumerism. And I would say that there was, I think, one book that is quite good at uh, sort of, and it was a great uh, social criticism at the time, was by this guy called David Reisman. Reisman wrote this book called The Lonely Crowd. And his whole theory was that, that America in the 19th century had been a society where people were inner directed you know they were like this they had this sort of jeffersonian call to westward expansion to to um uh, advancing a plot of land and tilling it and doing things by themselves being individualists and creating their own lives and now reisman said that people were sort of other directed which meant that they got their sense of personhood, sense of responsibility from other people, which led to a society that was very, very conformist. And and writers like Norman Mailer, who um, who was a novelist, talked about how you know the, the, we're really uh, in a time of like low creativity, low innovation. That it's really enervating. It's it's really it's really like killing us right now. And a lot of people sort of started noticing this especially when the civil rights movement started picking up and there was a, a lot of, I think, um, re- repression and, and pushback against it. And a lot of this sort of happened in part because of the, the high levels of conformity that, that were happening. So someone like Abraham Maslow, he saw the society and he thought that actually Freudian psychology, which, which um, emphasized conformity and repression was actually holding people back from being their real selves, their authentic selves, from taking personal responsibility in their lives. And so Abraham Maslow came up with this um, theory called uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Uh, At the bottom, there was this, um, the basic needs, uh, survival needs and food needs and uh, needs like love. And then at the top, there was actualization. And he looked through um, a bunch of Harvard graduates and undergraduates and, and sort of did interviews with them. He saw them as some, some people who were a bit different from other people. And he figured out that they were different and they were um, 
very unique because they were self-actualizing people. They had um, a bunch, all of their survival needs, but they also had things in their lives that drove them. They were sort of a little bit narcissistic, and but they wanted to sh- transform things. They wanted to be involved in important things. And he saw these people as the models of the future, models of a future society. And actually, in, politically, on the right and the left, you know, some people tend to think that the new right and the new left in the 50s and 60s were opposed to each other. In many ways, they were. You know, people like William F. Buckley were not supportive of civil rights legislation. They were not supportive of uh, feminism, gay rights, and uh, all of these, these new emerging rights. But what the new right was saying is that the economy is repressive. It's the it's not allowing people to invest in, in the ways that they want. It's not allowing them to be unique. And then on the left, you had people saying that the society is repressive. It's not allowing us to, to talk the way we want, to say the things we want, to dress the way we want, to express ourselves, to have sex, things like that. And so basically, people like Maslow were able to see that broadly in the society, there was this this need to burst out of this conformity that had taken hold in the 50s and that was coming out through in a lot of the movements civil rights movements civil rights legislation in 64 65 and the marches against the the vietnam war the 68 riots and the, the creation of the sds the students from democratic society so the society was convulsing and changing, and I would say that it religion was dissipating in many ways. So, if if new groups were going to emerge that were going to give people direction in life, they were not going to come from the old institutions, the old religions. They were going to come from these sort of new psychological movements, and I think that is the real background of the the human potential movement. And I think it's also like a really important episode in the in the changing of the American mind that is significant for, you know, a lot of the way that people think even today. This kind of mentality is really the precursor to a lot of things that we have seen on this show that all have sort of diverse beliefs, as a matter of fact, you know, everything from you know, people who believe in quiverful, all the way to people who are anti-vaccine or, um, you know, don't believe in fluoridated water. So let's talk about that. Exactly, exactly. It's, it, you can even link it to the Oprah Winfrey show and books like The Secret. It's And uh, music and culture in the 60s, 70s and 80s that went from, you know, being quite um, consistent and conformist to very expressive. People were uh, uh, experimenting in communes. They were taking LSD at the Eslin Society. Timothy Leary was a guru that a lot of people were galvanized by. And and I think that it was a real opening. I think um, Aldous Huxley he uh, wrote The Doors of Perception and The Brave New World, and he was really interested in this uh, human potential movement as well. And he saw LSD as a way 
to open up people's minds. People under LSD you know, saw the world differently. They, 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 and there was a big thing in the human potential movement about you know people who are only using ten percent of their minds and. Huxley sort of glommed onto that and, and saw LSD as a way to open the doors of people's minds to all the possibilities and all the transformational possibilities that they could have and, and, and see. But there was some pushback against this in psychology. And it wasn't, at first it was through the Freudians and initially it, the human potential movement was not able to take over the psychology departments. They were able to, um, to really have an impact in popular culture because you know, people seemed to really want a psychology like this and, and felt that it was bringing a sort of transformative change in their lives. But the other movement that they had to fight against was a movement by a fellow named B.F. Skinner. And Skinner was a psychologist but his view was that human beings were like code. He, he, he saw um, life in, in a much more deterministic way. So he felt that uh, different sensations, emotions, um, anger, uh, violence, love, it was just a series of codes. And uh, all the things that we were experiencing were just like, chemical reactions and humans didn't really have a prior control over the things that they were experiencing at, at all and he was in a um, debate with Ma Abraham Maslow and they, and they debated um, the importance of personal responsibility versus determinism and although B.F. Skinner did have a lot of evidence on his side in the debate, the audience members were found Skinner's um, rationalizations to be kind of obscene and kind of silly. They didn't really believe that, you know, hate and even like genocide had come from just in different codes. They they saw his his um, rationalizations as like taking out morality completely. Like people. Like if you take out the the human and and the human personal responsibility, like how can we judge anything? And I think the the reaction of B.F. Skinner was quite um, visceral, and 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 it, it it in many ways it shows how Maslow was able to sort of really conquer the populist space. So once Skinner's works was were marginalized. It, it was really that we could really see the growth of the human potential movement. And in the, uh, I think, um, Eslin, the Eslin Institute that was initiated, which brought together a lot of different members of the human potential movement, different people like Huxley, people like Carl Rogers, people like Maslow himself. It was a place where people could experiment people could grow and um, I think many of them sort of again they, they they sort of said that Freud had had a really great impact on American society by discovering consciousness by discovering you know man's uh, true nature and things like that but his um, ideas have been too attached to 19th century science 
and they weren't really about the human being and the human potential and human self-discovery and human self-making. So Aslan really demonstrated the, 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 the society at large really wanted this kind of new psychology that was being proposed by the, 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 the human potential movement. Although Maslow himself did start to feel that the Eslin Institute wasn't completely a reflection of the work that he had, he had done. Many people at, at Eslin and many trainers at Eslin started to you started to go beyond like uh, having a rational take on personal development. They started to tell people that they could do anything, that they could transform their lives. That, that it started to tell people that they were God it themselves. And Maslow didn't really believe that. And I think possibly this is because Maslow had lived a quite sort of regimented life that he'd gone through the academic um, ladder and, and he wasn't he wasn't maybe so much of a personal rebel but he he did have a striking uh, reaction to this and I think the Eslin Institute sort of sets us up nicely for Est. To unlock the rest of this episode visit patreon.com forward slash k-a-r-e-n-g-e-i-e-r It's only $5 to unlock over 20 hours of content.